0: Welcome to the Publishers Podcast, your place for psychiatry soundbites. Hi, I'm John Shelton, publisher of the Journal of Clinical Psychiatry. In this episode, I'll bring you up to date on our latest online selections of important peer-reviewed research and reviews for Part 1 of our July-August 2019 issue. You will hear a transition tone between summaries. Let's get started. The use of antidepressants and psychotherapy in the treatment of major depressive disorder is widely supported by major guidelines. Benzodiazepines, on the other hand, have limited data to support their use in this setting. In fact, some studies have found an association with benzodiazepines and prolonged time to remission, worsening depressive symptoms and suicide attempts. So, how many Americans are receiving benzodiazepine monotherapy in the presence of major depressive disorder? Are there certain patient or provider characteristics that increase the likelihood of receiving this treatment strategy? The authors of the present study utilize National Ambulatory Medical Care Survey data from 2012 to 2015 to assess the prevalence and predictors of benzodiazepine monotherapy in patients treated for depression. They found that nearly 1 in 10 of these patients receives benzodiazepines alone. Significant positive predictors for receiving benzodiazepine monotherapy included prescription of concomitant opioid therapy, underlying pulmonary disease, and receiving care from primary care providers. Significant negative predictors included completion of a depression screening and receiving care from psychiatrists. Surprisingly, the rate of benzodiazepine monotherapy in this population is not significantly different from the rate of prescribing in the overall population, suggesting that a diagnosis of depression does not decrease the likelihood of receiving benzodiazepine monotherapy. The authors conclude that these findings represent an important opportunity to improve both the education of prescribers and the care of patients with depression. In this study, sponsored by the National Institute of Mental Health, the authors explored whether taking anticonvulsant mood stabilizer therapy or lithium during pregnancy could increase the risk of some pregnancy complications. This was a cohort study based on U.S. Medicaid administrative data from U.S. Medicaid, which records prescriptions filled at the pharmacy, as well as diagnoses and procedures from inpatient and outpatient care. The study population included women who were enrolled in Medicaid and who delivered a live-born infant between 2000 and 2010. Results showed that women who received mood stabilizers had an increased risk of preeclampsia, placental abruption, growth restriction, and preterm birth compared to women who did not receive them. However, taking confounding factors into account, The authors conclude that treatment with lamotrigine, valproate, topiramate, carbamazepine, oxcarbazepine, or lithium was not responsible for the increased risk. Rather, they suggest that the indications for use or associated medical and lifestyle factors rather than the medication itself, more likely explain the higher risk for placenta-mediated pregnancy complications for women using anticonvulsant mood stabilizers. Depression is associated with increased mortality in persons with heart disease. Therefore, safe and effective depression treatment for these patients are needed. Eicosapentaenoic acid, or EPA, an omega-3 fatty acid found in fish oils, has been shown to have cardiovascular benefits and to be safe for patients with heart disease. Studies of depressed psychiatric patients suggest that the effectiveness of antidepressants can be enhanced by adding EPA, but this has not been tested in depressed patients with heart disease. In this clinical trial, sponsored by the National Institute of Health, the authors tested whether EPA augmentation of antidepressant therapy would improve depressive symptoms in patients with major depressive disorder with or at risk for coronary heart disease. After 10 weeks, participants who received 2 grams of EPA with a standard daily dose of sertraline did not show more improvement in depression than did those who received a placebo plus the same dose of sertraline. Based on these results, the authors conclude that there was no additional benefit of EPA for depression, although they recommend that more work is needed to identify safe and effective treatments. The relatively high remission rates in both arms, nearly 50%, following 10 weeks of treatment suggest that a standard antidepressant medication combined with supportive clinical management may have a clinically significant effect on major depressive disorder in these patients. Identifying modifiable risk factors is crucial for developing effective programs to prevent self-harm and suicide in adolescents. The Shandong Adolescent Behavior and Health Cohort is an ongoing longitudinal study of adolescent health in Shandong, China, funded by the National Natural Science Foundation of China. In a sample of 7,072 adolescent students, the authors examine the prospective associations between sleep variables, specifically insomnia, short sleep duration and nightmares, and subsequent suicidal behavior and non-suicidal self-injury, or NSSI. Participants were initially assessed in November and December of 2015 and reassessed one year later using a self-administered structured questionnaire. During the one-year follow-up, the authors found that 2.7% of participants attempted suicide and 8.8% engaged in NSSI. Both insomnia symptoms and frequent nightmares in the past year were significantly associated with subsequent suicide attempts and NSSI. After adjustment for adolescent and family demographics, depression, impulsiveness, and prior suicidal behavior or NSSI, only the association with frequent nightmares remains significant. Frequent nightmares were associated with an approximately twofold fold increased risk of future suicide attempt and 50% elevated risk of future NSSI during the one-year follow-up. With further adjustment for insomnia symptoms and sleep duration, the association between nightmares and subsequent suicide attempt and NSSI was essentially unchanged sleep duration and insomnia symptoms were not independently associated with either suicide attempt or NSSI. The authors conclude that frequent nightmares were independently associated with both suicide attempt and NSSI among adolescents. Assessing and providing intervention for nightmares may have important implications for early identification of adolescents at risk and for prevention of adolescent self-harm and death by suicide. Dementia is a progressive neurodegenerative disease that has been associated with increased mortality and the higher likelihood that both patients and caregivers will experience difficult decisions concerning palliative versus life-sustaining treatments. Proactive discussions about end-of-life management before patients lose their decision-making capacities are critical. But life expectancy is difficult to predict for dementia patients, especially for patients with multiple comorbidities. In this study, the authors aim to develop an easily accessible and practical prognostic risk score that could predict 6-month, 1-year, 2-year, 3-year, and 5-year survival after diagnosis of dementia. By using the Taiwan National Health Insurance Research Database, the authors included over 6,000 dementia patients who were at least 65 years old to develop and validate the predictive model. They performed an extensive review of the literature to identify potential predictors of mortality and evaluated their influence in predicting mortality for dementia patients. 11 acute and chronic predictors were aggregated to create the scoring model. The model exhibited good predictive power for various life expectancies, and it showed a good fit between estimated and real death rate. This scoring model may be the first tool that can determine both short-term and long-term mortality risks for dementia patients. Its use enables physicians to initiate discussions regarding end-of-life issues at an earlier stage of dementia. By doing so, implementing the scoring model may reduce the decision-related burdens of caregivers at the end of patients' lives, as well as the disparity in the treatment plans of dementia patients. Although antipsychotics have been the mainstay of schizophrenia treatment, about one-third of your patients with schizophrenia may show a limited response to these medications. A recent ASCP Corner article reviews the available options for managing treatment-resistant schizophrenia, including clozapine, and summarizes the evidence for each. This article is freely available online. Please visit the JCP website at psychiatrist.com. In closing, be sure to visit us online for interactive activities from our CME Institute and more from the Journal of Clinical Psychiatry. You can view the newest online offerings from Part 1 of the July-August 2019 issue on the JCP website at Psychiatrist.com. Thanks for listening. This is John Shelton signing off. I hope you will join me next month. For the Publishers Podcast, your place for psychiatry soundbites.